everybody and welcome along to today's episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon wishing you all a very good morning, a good afternoon or a good evening whenever or wherever you are tuning in to today's podcast from. On today's podcast, we welcome Emma Little. Emma is the CEO and founder of ExecSpace, um, a venue finding service that was set up just over a decade ago, back in 2008. Emma joins us today from her base up in, uh, in Edinburgh in Scotland. Emma, thanks very much for joining us today. No problem. Um, the, the world of venue finding is, is, um, is well populated, I think it's fair to say. Um, you launched ExecSpace back in 2008. You'd had this idea. Um, what was interesting and one of the reasons that we, we wanted to get you onto the podcast to have a chat about your own career and how ExecSpace has developed is that you yourself didn't have a, an event-specific background prior to launching this particular venue finding um, service. Tell us a little bit about your career previous to ExecSpace being founded? Yeah, so um, I, I was meant to go to music school and took a year out and naively saw an advert in a newspaper that said you could earn thousands of pounds selling Hoover's door to door. So um, I answered the ad and uh, I think most people lasted about a week or two weeks. It was on a commission only basis. So basically when you were Flying high, you were richer than all your pals. When you were not selling, then your car used to break down because there was no petrol in it. And uh, I think, as I say, most people lasted about two weeks and uh, I managed to last 18 months and, and, and really didn't look back from sales after that point. I did a stint in kind of technology and, and IT uh, sales, if you like. Yep. Uh, one small company in Edinburgh and then moved onto uh, a Microsoft partner and then went to Vodafone, um, initially in new business sales and uh, more, more uh, laterally uh, looking after RBS, which was Vodafone's biggest client. And, uh, and, and I was really keen at that point to really chase the, the, the kind of corporate dream and, 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 and try and achieve getting to the board of a corporate by the age of 45. And uh, they, they were very much pushing me to move down south in order to progress my career because I could work at Vodafone looking after RBS, uh, living in Edinburgh, but flying down to London Monday to Friday. Mm. Then of course, to progress any further, um, then I would need to move down to Newbury, which is where their HQ was. And I can remember at the time I nearly went into RBS, uh, but I was always scared that they were going to be uh, taken over by an American bank. And I thought I'll still have the same issue. I'll still have that issue where I need to move down south or overseas in order to progress my career. And then I nearly went into HBOS as well, but thought, do you know what, I'm, I'm probably still going to have that issue. So I guess um, I was really desperate to stay in Edinburgh for the rest of my days, because I like it, and, uh, and be really successful. And I figured actually the best route in order to achieve both would be to start my own company from scratch. And that way, regardless of how big or successful we became, our HQ could always be in Edinburgh. Um, so I guess it's, it's a funny one because most people come up with an idea and they think, okay, I've got this great idea, I better, better set up a business. Whereas I was like, I, I need to set up a business, I better think about, uh, up an idea. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was my kind of career uh, prior to this next and it's, and it's interesting that you, you give that, that sort of take on it, you know, the idea of coming up with the idea of launching a business before you had an idea of what the business could be. Because that, that does lead us in, in nicely into how um, ExecSpace came about as an idea. Because 
the idea of venue finding, I, I guess that there must have been a moment when you thought, aha, that's the idea there. How do these people find the spaces that they need to run their events in? Surely there must be a, you know, a way of doing that uh, uh, easier. So presumably you had this light bulb moment, um, but it's the fact that perhaps you didn't realize how competitive a marketplace it was having had this initial idea. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that because that, that fascinated me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so just genuine story. I'd, um, I'd become really kind of frustrated at myself not coming up with an idea and I thought, you know, this is never ever going to happen. And I'd been out for lunch with somebody in Leeds that I think had been like a Vodafone customer or something like that. And he was an entrepreneur. And I thought, right, okay, Leeds to Edinburgh is a really long drive. And if I don't phone any of my pals or any of my colleagues or listen to any music and I just think really, really hard between Leeds and Edinburgh, then I'd be able to come up with an idea. And, uh, and I'd seen the PAs in, in, in Vodafone kind of struggle to, to find meeting rooms down in Newbury and in London, etc. So I came up with the concept of venue finding, which obviously I didn't know that's what it's called, but basically the idea that, that we could come up with three to five options, access a single point of contact on behalf of these corporate clients and basically provide a one-stop shop. Yeah. And so that was on the Friday, I came up with that idea, and um, that, is, that is genius, right? And then I researched it the next day, which is a Saturday, and I thought, crap, it's absolutely saturated. There's loads of companies that are doing exactly that. But given it had taken me you know, months to come up with an idea in the first place, I thought, screw it, I'll stick with this, I'll just make sure we do it different and better than the competition. And, um, and that's what you're supposed to do in business, isn't it? You never come up with a, a completely new idea from scratch, I guess, like Apple did with the iPhone, et cetera. Yeah. Or, or, or you start a business in an established market, but you go, do you know what? I'm going to make sure we do it different and better than anybody else that currently exists. Sure. So I guess it allowed me to have a fresh pair of eyes and, and rather than build a business based on what, what's always been done, which would be the baggage that I would have had if I'd maybe come from the industry. Mm. I was able to build a business based on what clients needed and wanted. And I also realized that actually, when I was researching, I also realized that the venue agent relationship could be better. Right. So I went and knocked a couple of Hilton and Marriott doors and said, look, I'm a mobile phone salesperson, effectively. And I'm going to start up an agency from scratch. From your perspective as a venue, what can we do different and better? Right. And we did exactly the same from a client perspective in that it, it was a case of, okay, clients, what do you like about your current agent? And let's replicate that. What does your head in? What don't you like? And let's completely reinvent that part of the service. That's interesting because you actually preempted the very thing I was going to suggest and ask you, which is the fact that you came to it with a completely, not just a blank canvas, but a completely blank mindset as to how this, this is done traditionally. Um, I've come across and spoken to a number of, of, of other venue finding companies um, over the last few years. And when you ask, you know, all, all of them to a man have got some sort of background in the industry. They've either worked in a venue or they have been an event organizer trying to find a venue. So there is often a preconceived idea about how it should be done and what the process should be. Um, and it, by the sounds of things, coming into it with this completely fresh mindset really is actually something that you built and, uh, and used to your advantage. Yeah, basically. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I can remember probably after about 10 days of just cold calling, 
I got my first inbound inquiry. It came from Agreco and it was a finance conference. And I thought, nice one. And then the client starts talking about day delegate rates and DDRs. I'm thinking, <laughs> what's she talking about? So I just, I phoned up a few hotels and, and, and I guess that was, that was where I made some of the best friendships that I now have in the industry. I basically said, look, I'm a brand new agent. I haven't done this before. I've got no background, uh, but I've got this finance conference from Agreco here. You need to help me out. So I think it's, it's about being, I guess, uh, humble and honest enough to admit what you do know and, and admit what you don't. And I know from my background of being in account management since like 19, 20 years old, I definitely had a passion for customers. And I definitely knew I understood how to get right under the skin of what a client wants and then make a bunch of people do it. And that's effectively what we do, isn't it? You know, it's taking the needs of the client and then making sure a venue delivers on that. So I guess I was quite comforted by the fact that it isn't rocket science. Yeah. Good customer service is good customer service, irrespective of, of, of what uh, industry you're serving. You know, you could be going into a restaurant, you'd be going into a bar, you could be going into a clothes shop, a shoe shop, whatever it may be. Customer service is customer service and, and interpersonal skills, the ability to speak to people honestly and make them comfortable with your, your, own, uh, yeah. your own communication is, is, is critical, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm Curious to, to, to know how, in those early days when, when you were presumably just on your own, you were cold calling, you were, you were picking up the phone, you were knocking on doors, you know, you were beating a pathway to try and develop a portfolio of clients, but also presumably a portfolio of venues themselves that were happy to, 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 to liaise and work through you. Um, as that expands, to, to get the business to where it is now, a decade or over a decade on, how difficult is it to to constantly be refining that portfolio of venues? Because I hear so many people in the industry now say to me that there are so many different venues out there. You know, that there are Facebook groups. There are people who are posting on social media all the time. Has anybody got any suggestions? How do you keep up to speed with just how many venues there are out there nowadays? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the, the venue kind of makeup is changing. I think if you look back 10, 11 years ago, it was all the kind of, the kind of obvious commercial venues like the big brands and the traditional conference centers, etc. But I think the sharing economy has kind of crept into our space and people have realized actually I've got this meeting room or conference room or facility. It's lying empty, you know, 70% of the time. Why don't I make money from what I already have? Yeah. yeah. And in turn give the consumer or give the booker more choice. And um, I think as a venue finder, in the same way as if I phone my lawyer, I expect them to be an expert, then as venue finders, we need to build in um, knowledge building as an integral part of our day. And it's just about doing little and often, but consistently to make sure that we're aware of venues before clients are, because that should be our prerogative. Um, and to make sure that we're keeping abreast of new developments and refurbs and, and new openings um, and it's just it's about building that into part of your day and building it into all of your team's day sure so one thing um you may be able to shed shed some light on is that i i've been in the situation before where uh i maybe uh 
due to work in a particular venue for a particular event. I work freelance in the industry. So I'm in different places all the time. And my own instinct is always to hop on my laptop to Google the venue and find as many pictures and information about the venue as I can. And I find that there's a massive, massive gulf. There's a huge spectrum between the good and the bad in terms of what information you can find about any given venue. Um, whether that be a technical layout of a particular room the dimensions the access what's it like to get vehicles close by and on and off site Um, presumably that all of those sort of things are are, are things that you need to have available to you in order to provide the best possible service to your client Um, how do you go about sourcing all of that and and how do you work with the actual venues to ensure that you've got the correct information that you need to, to deliver the service to your clients yeah, so I think a lot of those processes were done manually in the in, in the very early days. Um, we implemented Gratis, um, which is Venue Directory's tool, probably about 2014-2015. And obviously what that allows us to do as an agent is see all the venues in a kind of similar format. Mm-hmm. And it's pushing back the emphasis of content updating onto the venue. Right. But I think where... Where the agency, I guess, uh, model could could fail is, is where we're using that rather than our common sense. Mm-hmm. I kind of see gratis, I guess, as a vehicle for getting out what getting out the information or the requests, if you like, to the venues. Yeah. But ultimately, that knowledge should sit with the venue consultants. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't replace the knowledge of the venue consultants, if you see what I mean. I do. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it should be used as a vehicle to communicate with the venues rather than going, okay, I, you know, I, I can't be bothered thinking about this. I'm going to use a piece of technology to do the thinking for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's one of those that the bigger your business gets, you, you presumably have to have some automated processes in place in order to put in certain criteria that will be stipulated by your client to you. So you yeah. have to weigh, find a way of quickly refining and eliminating venues that are not suitable and, and, and identifying ones that broadly speaking are, but then you still need to have that human level of interaction and that, and that, and that particular sort of local knowledge, I suppose, that comes from being able to pick up the phone to somebody directly and understanding exactly what they can and can't do. Yeah. I suppose what I'm saying is sometimes a computer can only tell you so much. Exactly. And I think it's about listening to your clients as well. So your client might tell you in 2015 that, they really don't like this particular brand or whatever. And it's like, where do you capture that? Because inevitably the venue consultant probably that's going to be working on that client in 2015 might be a different one to the one that they're working with in 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's about how do you capture that intelligence so that your client's not having to tell you something more than once and they, they get a real comfort that you truly understand the needs of them and their business. Um, shifting things a little bit and referencing back to your client's requirements back in 2008 to how they are now in early 2019. Um, what, are mo- what are some of the most significant changes that you've seen in terms of the demands made by your clients as to the type of venue they want? Um, ha- have those demands become more specific? Um, have they, broadly speaking, stayed the same? How have you seen it shift? I think 2008 was an incredibly tough time to start a business because I think when I started, it was about three months before Lehman Brothers collapsed. Right. So it was like the start of 
you know, the horrible recession as it was. So I guess when I was chatting to venues um, over the years, I think what we missed out on by starting the business in 2008 was the, you know, the quite extravagant celebrations that, that, that came through the heyday, right? Because everybody was, you know, rolling it in 2004, five, six, seven, we were all making loads of cash on by sitting in flats, you know, and just the equity rising, everybody was driving new cars. So I think we missed out on an awful lot of the kind of um, staff celebrations by starting in 2008 that had come before. Um, and I think, uh, so it was, it was much more centered around kind of business critical stuff. Mm -hmm. So events that were going to deliver an ROI, whether that be from new clients or new prospects or, or sometimes events that were going to deliver bad news like redundancies or, you know, something along these lines. And I think, but as we kind of pulled out the recession, um, I think these kind of events have, have come back where it's about, okay, there might be a smaller workforce and the, the corporates might have been through the mill and there might have been a lot of people made redundant, but actually let's make sure that the people that are working for us now are fully engaged and motivated on the, on the same bus, if you like. So there's a lot more around the kind of staff engagement. I think if you look at the way that venues have changed, a lot of the clients that we work with are in the, the professional services area. So yeah. accounting firms and legal firms. Now, if you think about the guests that they're inviting to their event, those types of guests are also being invited to five or six other events by their bank or you know, by their accountant, by their lawyer or whatever. So I think increasingly we're under pressure as an agent to come up with venues that are going to give that law firm or accountancy firm a competitive edge mm. over their competitors and entice their delegates to come to their event over the one that their bank's inviting them to. So I think increasingly the, the clients are expecting the venue that the event's at to add kind of um, add to the USP of their event. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I suppose it's, it, it's that level of spectacular that people are looking for now. Um, it, it, it strikes me quite obviously that, that, that people are no longer just satisfied with the boring meeting room or, or the, the, the run of the mill, seen it once, seen it a thousand times, hotel function suites with some chairs laid out and a projector at one end. It strikes me that, that certainly one of the biggest trends is this desire to, to, to work and, and deliver events within spaces that maybe a little bit different especially if it is a business conference people are used to working in quite bland environments you know mm -hmm. office environments so when you take them out of that space and you want to inspire them with a, a business meeting or with a company conference or convention whatever it may be you want that little bit of inspiration don't you yeah definitely yeah and uh, I, I think as well that one of the one of the things that fascinates me about venue finding is is just the sheer geography that's involved because one of the ambitions that, that, that you set out in your um it, 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 when i read your biography was this ambition to create a global brand that came out of a you know scottish based business mm. um how do you even begin to sort of develop a venue finding service with no background in the industry that then is actually working at finding venues, not just in your own region and not just in the UK, but it, you know, beyond that, how do you develop such a geographical spread? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's a tricky one because clearly we started off in Scotland and 
before we knew it, because we were doing business with really nice corporates pretty much from day one, just by being bold and asking for the business, inevitably those corporates then started to introduce us to their colleagues down in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those colleagues down in London might have kind of supposed to be using one of the larger agents, but they felt like the service or the negotiating power or whatever it was, wasn't there. So from a booker perspective, they were able to convince procurement that actually I've got a reason here to justify using exec space over the kind of global uh, venue finder or whatever that had been put in place. So I guess the clients kind of, in a nice way, forced our hand, okay? So we'd gone from being this Edinburgh company or Scottish company where we had the local knowledge, we understood the geographies, we understood the venues, to being asked to service London because the clients down there weren't happy with the incumbent that they were supposed to be using. Mm. So then we kind of became uh, expert, if you like, in, in, in lots of the kind of key uh, national cities like London and Birmingham and Manchester and uh, Leeds, etc. And then we kind of always avoided the global or the international piece for years because I thought, how on earth are we going to be able to service this? You know, we've not got an office in Europe or whatever it is, and we yeah. don't have anybody necessarily that's multilingual. But again, it was the clients forcing their hands because they were saying, okay, we acknowledge and appreciate your honesty that you haven't seen all those venues globally clearly but for us this is a client speaking for us to have to deal with these venues overseas is incredibly painful can you do it on our behalf so I think it's been honest about actually where we add value so like when the clients are using us globally or internationally it's not necessarily because we've got the expert knowledge it's that they find the whole process of speaking to these venues and trying to deal with these venues overseas, incredibly painful. Right. But they put the confidence that if they ask exec space for something once, then it doesn't matter that it's incredibly painful for us to try and get the answers. The client doesn't see any of that. They just see that the one time that they ask us, they see when we promise them a response and we subsequently deliver. Yeah. So it's about understanding where we add value. Yeah. Because where we add value for different clients is not necessarily always the same. Sure. And, and that value might not necessarily be that instantly you've got a huge portfolio of venues that may fit the bill. It, it, sometimes that value comes from you being prepared to shoulder the burden that, that, that they're not prepared to invest the time in taking on themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, w- w- uh, just mentioning the fact that um, uh, y- your hand was somewhat forced in certain circumstances and instances as you've developed by uh, the clients and what they required. Um, you say your hand was forced, but inevitably, are there times where you look back and you think, actually, there was a clear decision that I made there. I could have said yes, I could have said no, um, and I chose to say yes. Can you, are there quite sort of clear defining moments in the progress of the company where you can reference and think, actually, that was the decision that I made and that's what led us to there? Yeah, I think so. I think in the past, uh, you know, we've had conversations in, in the past, in the quite early days, about actually, do we move into the travel space? Mm. So they get to, you know, to move into the travel space, right? As well, and and then you know, and we thought about the margins, and we thought about actually, would that add value? And, and the clear decision back then was no, which is still the case just now. And I think at points as well, we've been 
I guess, tempted to move into the full service event management, mm. but it's, it's not our area of expertise. Um, we have got partners that we can subsequently bring in and, 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 and create a kind of solution. But I think it's about appreciating and acknowledging where your strengths are. And yes, it's tempting as a business owner to make a fast buck by delivering something that a client wants you to deliver. Mm -hmm. But if you're not confident that's your area of expertise, it's about being brave enough to say no, because actually it's just going to damage your credibility if you do deliver something that isn't necessarily your bag. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think, just on a more, I suppose, mundane, if you can call it that, on a day-to-day basis, your team, uh, the team at ExecSpace, presumably you now have staff and the team has grown. Um, yeah. How hands-on have you been able to uh, maintain yourself in terms of going out, seeing venues yourself face-to-face, meeting those venues, being able to speak to them? Or, or, or is that now tasked due to the size of the business to people within your team to go and do that? I think I think largely the, the, the site inspections and the actual venue knowledge has been cascaded down the team. But I think where where my responsibilities sit, I believe, should be having and building cracking relationships mm-hmm. at a senior level with those venues so that if ne- inevitably if a client needs us to deliver something, then if we've got the relationships at that level within those venues, then we're more likely to be able to deliver what our client needs and wants than if we didn't. So I think most of my role is about relationship building at a senior level, and that's with clients and with with venues. Absolutely. Because I think when you've got an agent that genuinely loves the customer and is genuinely passionate about delivering, and you've got a venue that feels the same, and that agent and venue are very much holding hands in order to deliver that, then that's when the client's outcome is always the best. We've been talking on the podcast today to Emma Little. Emma is the CEO and founder of ExecSpace, a venue finding agency. Um, And in particular, one of the reasons that we wanted to get Emma on the podcast and have a chat with her about her own journey is that unlike a lot of the uh, uh, other other businesses that have started and working in the space, um, as Emma has explained today, she came from a, a completely blank canvas background, no prior experience within the events industry. And, um, this, this particular example, not just in the venue finding service, but in any business of coming into it with a, a fresh set of eyes and a completely new mindset in how to approach something, um, it often yields fantastic results. And a decade on from launching ExecSpace, um, Emma, I'm sure you're, you're very proud and sitting there today looking at what you've achieved. Kind of. Um, I, I'm not proud of myself yet, to be honest. I, I, I think, you know, we've built a decent business and... We've got an awful lot of good clients. Um, I've obviously created jobs um, and it's been no mean feat building a business from scratch, particularly in the economic climate that we started in. But for me, it was always about um, creating something of scale. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've, we've still to do that. And I, think, and I think ultimately we'll be able to do that through technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of how proud I am of what I've achieved today, it's probably one out of 10. So, um, it's yeah, okay, you, you know, you've done this, but it's it's a fraction of what I want to achieve personally. Um, 
a lady of high standards, a lady of high and, and, and high ambition by the sounds of things as well. Looks like we should uh, we should pro pro probably catch up um, every year to see how further down that line on a scale of one to ten you are. That'd be good because then I'd be accountable. So I think, <laughs> hang on, I better do something because I've got a podcast coming up. So yeah, you can hold me accountable. Yeah. Note, note it in the diary, uh, podcast followers. We'll, uh, 12 months down the line, we'll see whereabouts Emma sits on that scale. Emma, thank you very much for joining the podcast today and for taking the time to join, uh, join us and, and to talk about your own uh, adventure over the last 10 years. Um, if people want to find out a little bit more about Exec Space and what, uh, what you guys do, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, our website, um, and my email address, uh, emma.little at execspace.co.uk. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining us. If you are listening to the audio only version of today's podcast, don't forget you can hop over to eventindustrynews.com and watch the video version of the podcast. And equally and vice versa, if you're watching the video at the moment via eventindustrynews.com, um, hello to you, first of all. And uh, you can look at all of the previous uh, episodes of the podcast via your favorite podcast podcast platform download them to your phone listen to them on your journey to and from work or whenever you choose to do so but for now on today's episode it's time to wrap up our thanks once again to emma little from exec space for taking the time to join us on today's podcast and we will see you on the next episode thanks very much and goodbye mm -hmm.